All right, guys, welcome into the latest episode of the Starting Eleven podcast. This is our uh, our first episode back of the new season. Uh, welcome in. So, um, you know, we ended last season talking about the Champions League, the Nations League, the FA Cup, all that stuff, and uh, you know, a lot has happened in the in the off season in the transfer window to make this season a little bit more exciting than I'd say in past years. First off, of course, we had the champion of last year's Premier League and the champion of the championship facing off Manchester City and Burnley. Uh, it was the first game last Friday. Manchester won 3-0. By their standards, not the most impressive performance, so to speak, but it's Manchester City, so a 3-0 win. Uh, you know, they're the only team that can really make that look unimpressive, I guess you could say. Uh, Holland picking up where he left off, scoring two goals. I think the first one was it within the first three minutes. So, you know, some people were skeptical if he could repeat his performance from last season, but it's starting to look like he's going to repeat it and maybe succeed the numbers he had last season. So good start to the season for them. Grant, I don't know if you had any quick thoughts on that game before we, you know, kind of jumped into the real weekend, the uh, big slate of games. Just to touch on Burnley a little bit. Uh, I know the expectations are really high this year, just because what they did last year in the championship, uh, the highest scoring team uh, in the championship and best defensive record <clears throat> in the league last year. But this is, a, this is a new level, and it just shows like the gap from championship-level teams to the Premier League, and uh, it was quite the way for Burnley to get a welcome back into the Prem. I mean, City, to be fair, they do have their games where they look just so incredible. They're scoring seven goals, whatever. But most of the time, it is kind of like how they played against Burnley, where it's kind of slow, hold on to the ball, just make the right passes. And I mean, having Holland up top, if you go in. So yeah, but I was just glad didn't matter who played could have been Luton and I don't know, Sheffield. And I was watching that game because soccer's back, baby. Yeah. I couldn't be more excited. The one unfortunate thing to take away from that game was Kevin De Bruyne getting hurt and uh, reports this mm. week starting to seem like he might not play for the rest of 2023 and he might be with his return at the start of the new year. Um, do you think that can affect Manchester City's championship odds? We haven't, you know, posted it just yet, but um, we're going to be posting our our picks for the season. I'm pretty sure you still had City winning the league despite the injury. Is that right? Yeah, I'm going to stick with City, even with that KDB injury. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They throw Foden in that role, but the way City are, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they're kind of savage with this. And De Bruyne's gone in the winter or the summer. Even if he doesn't want to go, just City kind of forcing him out. So that would be something. Because he got injured, what, in the first half of the Champions League final? Mm -hmm. And I think Same Pat, injury, I, I think. Saw, yeah, and I saw a quote from him kind of, I don't know how to, passive-aggressively talking about him being injured all the time. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if... They try to force him out and just reload some other big playmaker, but we'll see what happens. And I just want to move on now to the Saturday City games because that was kind of like the real stretch of the weekend games, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. All but, I guess, the four. The real big winners of the weekend, I'd say, are both Newcastle and Brighton, both winning by four goals, respectively, from Newcastle, and then a three-goal differential win by Brighton. They're sitting at the top of the table because of the goal differential. So far, I think my biggest takeaway from either of the two games is the immediate impact that Sandra Tonali is making for Newcastle. Like, man, like, you know, we talked about Holland, you know, opening up the scoring early. I think Tonali scored within the first five or six minutes, too. I think he only scored once last year for Milan, and he scored within five minutes, six minutes for Newcastle in the group chat yesterday, you were saying he's starting to, or he's already looking like 
the signing of the season. Obviously, it's only one game, so don't want to get too ahead of ourselves or anything. But, yeah. uh, man, did he look good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, he's not going to – like, he's not like a Gundawan or a De Bruyne where he's scoring a bunch every year. It was nice, obviously, to open up your debut in the Premier League with a, with a goal. But, yeah, signing of the season just in the terms of, like, you have to think of who's – like come into England, switch teams at least, like the McAllisters going from Brighton to Liverpool, but uh, all the signings in this window. And Tonali, we knew obviously his class, but I don't think very many people would have had him at uh, signing of the season. But uh, with a start like that, hit the ground running. All eyes are on Newcastle. They're really impressive. Brighton kind of expected it. They played Luton. Yeah, Newcastle against an Aston Villa team that I'm really high on. I think I've had great signings, finished the season really strong last year uh, under Unai Emre. Yeah, Newcastle. And to be fair, like you said, scoring that many goals last year, they were like pretty defensive, winning games like 1-0, kind of shutting it down. But to burst off, to have a start like that, Newcastle is going to be a good one to watch. Yeah, just like you said, against Aston Villa, of all teams, I think they're almost universally picked to be, uh, you know, top eight, you know, whether it's a – Europa League game or a conference league spot, you know, it's um a lot of people are really high on them outside of the, you know, the main six and then maybe Brighton, uh, who we just talked about being dominant. Um, outside of them though, a couple draws, uh, Bur- uh Bournemouth and West Ham getting draws. Nothing too exciting there, but moving on to the Sunday set of games, we got we all got together, the three of us, you, me and our buddy Morgan, who unfortunately uh could make this uh season premiere for us. But we were able to get together for that game, and and uh, Tottenham they were they were looking strong to start opening up the Ange Postecoglou era. Unfortunately for them, that did end in a two two draw, uh, getting the point away at Brentford. I say unfortunately, but it wasn't a terrible result for them. I think maybe the the thing if if you're gonna look back and kick yourself for it as a Tottenham fan or Tottenham player, uh, the Sun penalty, you know, after they went to VAR, I think Sun was kind of just like, yeah, even I know I made the penalty. I think it's a strong start for them. Expectations aren't too too high. Obviously, it's also the first game post Harry Kane, so I guess they just gotta build from there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, even without Ivan Tooney, like Brentford are. In- pushovers by any means i mean we saw like we'll talk we'll get to it later but uh guys like mauricio pochettino granted you played liverpool first game of the year in the prem it's always going to be tough uh what and we were talking about it we were watching it with morgan the spurs team feels like they're free to go forward now like the midfield isn't just sitting there kind of deep like hoping son and kane and uh kulishevsky can like do it themselves james madison already making an impact i think he had both assists right Mm-hmm. That's and right. I, yeah. And I think that is just like the Spurs way. Like they just line up really well. Because if you think of back when like the Kyle Walker was there, like the, that era of team, they had a really strong central attack midfielder kind of operating and doing all the playmaking. And I think now the only thing they really have to focus on is getting Richarlson into the game. Like I felt like he touched the ball like three times. Granted, like he's not Harry Kane by any means, but he can score you some goals, take some pressure off. He can hold up the ball. We see it with the Brazil team all the time, making crazy plays, doing bicycle kicks in the World Cup or whatever. So, yeah, right. Yeah, and I think they just had fight even when they went down. The pen was the second goal for Brentford. Yeah, they were up 1-0, and then they fell down 2-1. So to get that yeah. second goal back and salvage a point, show some yeah, result. You- and like last year, you just didn't see that. The second they went down, they went, they were just out. 
just completely lost it. And we last year they were second half Spurs. First half they'd go down three nil and then have to claw their way back. Uh, they're getting out at getting out ahead of teams, and it's going to be interesting to see how they grow kind of through the season. And if I'm a Spurs fan, and I think Morgan said it, like yeah, you kind of wish you walked away with the win, but I think that's a really good start to the year for them. I'd agree. Now, moving on to the next game, too, there's Liverpool and Chelsea. That was kind of like the Sunday showcase game, so to speak. It's probably going to be 2040 by the time that Liverpool and Chelsea break their straw of uh, drawing games. It seems like I think it's seven in a row. So Liverpool took the lead early. Yeah, there you go. You got the hat. (laughs) We went to the bar and Liverpool bar, got to watch the game with a bunch of Liverpool fans, gave us some memorabilia, got some Carlsberg glasses to take home with us, which is really cool. Steven Gerrard era. Literally, literally getting those classic jerseys back. Saw some people with those classic jerseys. Uh, Great time. Had to go home and kind of analyze the game afterwards because of those small Mm -hmm. screens and the delays with the different screens. Kind of didn't make for the most optimal viewing experience. But, you know, that that there was an offsides that called back a most solid goal that would have put them up 2-0. And I think if that would have stood, then Liverpool probably would have walked away with a win, but uh, it didn't stand. And after that point, Chelsea pretty much dominated the game. They were able to score a goal, and then they had uh, another goal uh, removed from VAR offside call, which as a Liverpool fan, we're kind of glad to see that one removed too, one for one. But yeah, Chelsea pretty much dominated from there on. It was kind of like people were calling it the Caicedo Derby because of all the drama with Moses Caicedo. Moises Caicedo with Liverpool and Chelsea vied for his services. Ultimately, Chelsea coming away with them as well as Romeo Lavia, Liverpool's other target. So as a Liverpool fan, the biggest takeaway to me is the big that big hole missing in the midfield uh, defensively, number six spot. People, Liverpool was a little bit eager getting rid of Fabinho for that price tag was attractive. But, um, you know, there's this big hole now. We have yet to see what they're going to do. They did pick up the Japanese midfielder, uh, Endo, from uh, German side. Um, Stuttgart. Stuttgart, yeah. I'm not sure what their ranking is in the league without looking it up. We'll see how it works out for them. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I don't know what your thoughts on the game. I think we had a preliminary ranking, and neither of us had Chelsea too high in our ranking. But, you know, after some revisions and watching how they looked the first game, it looked like you were pretty high on Chelsea, too. Yeah, just in terms of Endo, by the way, uh, Stuttgart produced Josh Kimmich, I'm pretty sure. So, granted, he's not Japanese, or Josh Kimmich. German. <laughs> granted, granted, he's not German, and he's, what, you said 30 years old? I think he's 30 uh, already, yeah. Who knows, maybe you'll get some <laughs> some Kimmich in that. But uh, Hopefully. Uh, yeah, Chelsea looked really good. I mean, you should look really good when you spend a billion dollars in transfers, but that's yeah. neither here nor there, but... Uh, yeah, Liverpool is definitely missing that defensive midfielder. It seems like this late into the window, it's probably going to be someone just to hold you over in a rotation piece. I was kind of interested uh, the way Liverpool played towards the end of the year when they kind of went on that run and were winning a bunch of games and felt like old Liverpool was back. Uh, Trent was stepping into that midfield. And then from what I remember watching the game, it didn't seem like he was doing that as much. And then like you'd think you'd be more willing to do that when you have a healthy Van Dyke, uh, not a lot of miles on his leg yet. Obviously, first game of the season. Same with Kanate back, Andy Robertson there. Uh, you'd think you'd definitely be more willing to have Trent 
And again, especially with like uh, Fabinho gone, but Klopp put out that really offensive attack. Uh, that solid goal probably should have been awarded, but I mean, it's a tough start. Uh, Liverpool at Stamford Bridge, two good teams, probably both going to be battling for a top four spot. So first game of the year, you expect kind of a slow start. So yeah, I think both teams played really well. Sabaslai, uh looked like a really, really good signing. I think McAllister's still trying to get his feet under him, but he was kind of playing out of position too. He was kind of playing in that defensive midfielder role. So he didn't get to execute the potential, the full potential of his abilities, but he still was, like you said, kind of getting his feet wet. Yeah. And how did you feel about that front three that Klopp went with? Because it was Diaz, Sala, which kind of expected, but then it was Jota, Jota up top. top. Yeah, and then you have Gakpo kind of dropping in, uh, Sava's lie, and then McAllister are all kind of like cami attacking midfielders. Mm -hmm. So, um, it wasn't a terrible lineup. It was a pretty good lineup. I I don't like Gakpo playing midfield. I don't know if that's like the new, you know, like last year there was the whole like making a center back or a right back, making them a midfielder, like the whole John Stones, Trent, Zinchenko thing. Like, I don't know if that's supposed to be the thing this year is like taking a center forward and making them into a midfielder like Kai Havertz and. Cody Gakpo, I, I don't know if that's the whole wave that's starting this year or not. I hope yeah. not because I don't think it's looking too hot for Arsenal to start. And then I don't think it's looking too hot for Liverpool. If anything, I think like Jota had a better chance being a little bit more of a midfielder. The problem is their pressing is just like a little too aggressive almost because you're, you're used to playing or you're used to pressing, I guess, in a different way when you're an up top player. Unless you're just going to like fully dedicate them to converting into a new position, I don't think it's smart to be playing these attackers in the midfield because, um, you know, they're kind of used to, you know, helping out more so than being the focal point of winning the ball back. Hopefully it's not a permanent thing. Hopefully it's just a temporary thing. I hope I'm, I'm hoping that Klopp is kind of just putting these guys in this position as like a message to like the ownership, like. Let me get some guys here, please. Yeah, no, I feel that. I mean, you guys are sitting on 110 mil. I mean, if I was like running a club, I'd probably this late sit on it and see what you can do in January. But uh, that's a long, obviously, stretch of games. Uh, you don't know how <laughs> we'll see how bad you need a six coming up through the season. But I guess technically you got one, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Now, also, you know, before the end of the weekend, there was that Monday Monday night football, I guess, in England. Uh, the Manchester United and Wolves game. Uh, Manchester United got away, walked away with a 1-0 win, but the game was littered with controversy. There was the uh, Onana play where he, you know, left his line and there was a, a headed, header attempt and, you know, he striked the striker and um, could have been a, probably should have been a, a shout for a pen there. But the referees, you know, missed the, missed the call. And I think these referees have been uh, removed from calling games this upcoming weekend, you know, adding to the drama of this event. You hear that, La Liga? We'll get See, to that later. Yeah, but, no, yeah, I mean, yeah we'll, we'll definitely get to that later. What was I going to say? Yeah, Wolves kind of dominated the game, too. Like, Wolves had, like, 23 total shots, and they they had, like, more shots on target and shots on attempt. So, yeah, it was a it was not the greatest start for Manchester United. They're lucky to walk away with three points. One of my buddies who's a Manchester United fan was, you know, talking shit about Liverpool only getting the draw at Stanford Bridge. But I'm like, dude, you guys barely beat Wolves. Like you shouldn't be really proud of that result. It's week one. So 
you might have three points now, but we'll see you in a few months. Yeah, uh, I watched that game, and Wolves obviously is in my relegation, uh, like bottom three this year, and I still think they will be. But man, you're right. Uh, first half, like Wolves probably should have went ahead pretty easily. They were absolutely dominating. Uh, the wingers for Manchester United were awful. It was Anthony and uh, who Garnacho, was out on the right? left. Yeah, Garnacho did absolutely nothing. I'm again really not sure what that Mason Mount signing was. Uh, they kind of just relied on Rashford to do something, but it's pretty easy to defend a single guy and not an entire team. But yeah, Cunha for Wolves. He had a couple where he dribbled through a couple defenders on a breakaway on a counterattack. Looked really good. And Wolves as a whole just. Very unlucky. Honestly, Manchester United are lucky to walk away with three points, but they would have been lucky to walk away with a single point. Yeah, uh, there were some chances that Wolves probably should have finished, and uh, that game probably should have been like three one-ish Wolves. But yeah, Manchester United not the not the best start in the world. Um, we'll see if it's going to be like last year. We said uh, in the podcast at the end of last season, the biggest thing for United this year is to, like be consistent. If it's going to be anything like last year, where <laughs> it's going to be some waves for them, some massive highs and some big lows. So speaking of massive highs and massive lows. Uh, this team that we're going to talk about had some decent highs and some massive lows this week. Real Madrid uh, suffered two un- really unfortunate injuries. Both Militao and Courtois suffered and torn ACLs. So they'll probably both be out for the uh, extended period of the season. It's usually like a six to nine month injury, they say. So we'll see if they return. The high part for them, though, is Jude Bellingham scoring in his debut for Madrid, uh, La Liga debut, and picked up the three points in a 2-0 win. So. Yeah, they're looking pretty good in that sense, but um, unfortunate injuries there. Uh, some of the memes making the round were that they were going to stick like Kamavinga, goalkeeper, as a replacement. But in reality, they picked up Kepa on loan from Chelsea. So serviceable, but definitely not in the level of Courtois. Yeah, uh, obviously, like you said, those are two massive injuries. And the summer they had, the talent they brought in, it looked like they were world beaters, but two massive injuries like they're back down i mean they still can compete but they have some problems to solve obviously no real center forward so they played four in the midfield and uh it was pretty interesting i was wondering who was going to start opening day and because obviously you have like the vets like Cruz and modric and then you have the new sightings and then the kids that have been there like kamavinga chuamini and neither Cruz or modric started but yeah they're going to be i think I, I really don't know what to think of real madrid obviously super stacked super talented but they have like massive holes now you don't have your like star piece in defense and Miltau uh, you don't have Courtois and you don't have a central forward that those midfielders can kind of play off of and those wingers can do what they do best and find that like the, what Benzema would do with Vinicius Vinicius doing his thing down the wing and somehow would always find Benzema in the box. So I can't tell if they're kind of in trouble, kind of not. I think it depends on the matchups and whenever they play the big teams, it'll be interesting to see how they play. But for now, we'll see. They still have a couple weeks, I think, until the window's over. It's the 16th. So yeah, like 14 days. We'll see if there's any panic buys or uh, if they can get any business done. But again, towards the end of the window, teams like are kind of bunkering down, like don't really expect to lose players at this point. So yeah. Uh, they're gonna have to either pay big money yeah you're either gonna have to pay big money or not really getting players so it'll be interesting you said kind of in trouble kind of not we're gonna pivot to the other team that's kind of in trouble kind of not barcelona 
we watched that game on Sunday too. I kind of dozed off for a certain period of that game because it was kind of, and by kind of, I mean very boring. Uh, Getafe, the the other team, very, very physical, fouling Barcelona 20 times, a lot of yellows, a red too, but they were able to successfully get in the head of Rafinha, who uh, took a red, I think like 42 minutes in or something like that, pretty early in making Barcelona play down a man. You know, you made that you made that joke earlier about the refereeing with the Manchester United game, but like that like you said to Morgan that the refereeing for this Barca game was probably some of the worst you've ever seen. I've seen some people online saying that too. It really was just a sh- like a sham of a refereeing job because you got guys from Katafi out here clotheslining and throwing bows and and you know hip checking these guys in Barcelona. You got Lewandowski on the ground and writhing, uh, writhing in pain and and Rafinha getting taking cheap shots at people because he's been roughed up so much. So it wasn't the the greatest game from a refereeing standpoint. But Barcelona also didn't really bring the heat. They were looking pretty disappointing. Kind of makes you question what kind of chance they might have to compete for the league this year. But you also don't want to, you know, get too far ahead because it's only one game. So I'm um, trying to find the happy median and the evaluation there. But uh, as a Barcelona fan, I guess we should just ask you what the the expectation, the feeling is moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I've been through the Setien, the Valverde, the Komen eras, and I've never seen a game that bad. Yeah, I mean, part of it is the referee get letting teams play physical, especially with the talent gap between Hatafe and Barcelona, but it was just ridiculous. You'd be watching like the back line when Barcelona's in possession, and Lewandowski isn't even making a run. He's just kind of walking across that back line, and then he just dropped to the floor multiple times. Rafinha not really being protected. It did get to his head. Like he needs to be better. Pretty unacceptable, especially the way it went down, kind of making that run, running into Lewandowski. So that just shows like the coordination kind of going on with Barcelona right now. And throwing that elbow to the head, you're going to, like, that's a no doubt, no brainer. But Ilke Gundawan on that Lewandowski run, uh, just making a run through the middle and just gets an elbow right into the stomach. I mean, it was ridiculous. And again, going back to last year, I was like nonstop saying, like, La Liga is going downhill. It's going, it's really bad. It's just a mess. Uh, Tobias has no idea what he's doing. And, I'm glad, honestly, to like have a game that bad with a team like Barcelona playing in it. Because if it was two teams, like no one really cares about. And the grand scheme, obviously, every team has mm-hmm. their loyal fans. But like that national of a game, uh, I think it was the last game of the day on Sunday for La Liga. So it's like their Sunday night kind of game yeah. uh, for everyone to watch and got to see how, just in shambles as it was. But part of it, too, with that is... There's like no incentive for like the Hitafes to want to play Barcelona. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the Premier League does, but yeah, teams sit back and defend like the better teams, like if Liverpool's playing like a Bournemouth, but those games are still like exciting to watch. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the way Barcelona play, how slow it is. Uh, I do think we're kind of stuck in our ways and we need to kind of evolve from that tiki taka, that possession, because a lot of it was just passing around the back. But yeah, I, it's just, it was miserable. There was, horrible to watch i couldn't even believe that was barcelona playing but uh but also part of it is kind of on us i mean yeah you're you're being kicked or whatever but there were so many times like we finally get a break we're on a counter attack which would be huge like 
we can do some damage and a player just rolling around on the ground five minutes after it happened. It's like, clearly you're not going to get the call. In yeah, this game. You gotta get up. And you have like, you have to get up. Come on. There was no creative like play out of anybody. I mean, Romeo, the new signing Academy kid from Girona uh, was probably doing the most. And he was a deep playmaker, playmaker, not even in, not Sergio Busquets. He's just there to distribute and defend. And then we, we, we really relied on a 16 year old, Lamina Mall, yeah. uh, who was like one of the few that actually looked good. He created chances. A team of the stature of FC Barcelona relying on a 16-year-old uh, is absolutely ridiculous. But I'm glad Rafinha got that red card because I've never seen a Brazilian winger not be able to dribble past a single defender ever one-on-one. It's honestly ridiculous. Uh, hopefully, Lamine gets a start. Don't care if he's 16. He was the best creative player on the pitch. Uh, Lewandowski, there were stats from him pre-World Cup and post-World Cup and like all of his attacking stats have like been cut in half. Don't show that it is like, bit. yeah. And they said all of a sudden it just hits you. Uh, like Luis Suarez, like one week you're on fire and then all of a sudden you're you're old and you never get it back. So hopefully we don't have that all of a sudden now. I saw a lot of Barcelona fans saying if Saudi came in with a ridiculous offer for Lewandowski, like we might have to do it. But I, I mean, we're kind of in shambles. I said it was pretty unfortunate timing. Uh, it sounded like everyone in Barcelona finally accepted Neymar could come back. But Xavi is the only one that said no. Uh, and Neymar didn't want to play under Xavi either. Would I give up Neymar or would I give up Xavi to have Neymar back? Probably not. But if Neymar Neymar would have accepted like I would have been the first one on the phone with him the second after that game Javi too don't even talk to the players we'll do that later just get Neymar on the phone that's how bad that was I mean again just no creative I couldn't believe it was a Barcelona game dude yeah it looked like some Sunday league you know some weekend rec league type shit man the way that they were fouling but speaking of Neymar it's just crazy to think that he's in Saudi now like like his career isn't going to be as memorable as we probably thought it would have been, you know, five, six, seven years ago when he was the, you know, young prodigy of Europe mm-hmm. that was supposed to surplant Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi. And now all three of them are without or outside of European football within the same calendar year. And it's just nuts to say. Yeah, I was watching a video, like a little clip on Instagram, and someone was comparing uh, Neymar at 23, his accomplishments, Holland at 23, and then Mbappe at like 24, 23, 24. And like Neymar like had a significantly better start. And that's crazy. Like considering what Holland and Mbappe have done, like Neymar was levels above and that Michael Owen tweet back in 20, I don't remember 17 when he left about how the only direction from Barcelona is like downwards from here. Like you're not getting better. Like that's just proving more and more uh, true. But I mean, it's a shame like 31, you think of what Ronaldo and Messi were doing at 31. Right. I mean, they were still like prime, just absolutely dominating the game. And he's off in South. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, exactly. And obviously no other team would have taken the risk on him because I don't think Saudi was his first choice. I think he would have preferred to stay in Europe, but he's just such a mess. And then I saw a stat. He was a PSG for six or seven years and only played 173 games because yeah. they were shit saying after his tenure. Yeah, they were like, look at this. It's an insane record. 173 games, however many goals, assists. And it's like, wait, he's been like, yeah. It's like yeah, six years, it's like, man. That's like two and a half years worth of for a regular player. And right. he's doing it in six or seven for PSG. 
in a league he dominates. So like, yeah, it's a shame we never got to see, I think, the full potential of Neymar, which yeah. really sucks to think about. And I mean, even Al Hilal, like they were hit he was their third choice. Like they wanted Messi, then they wanted Mbappe, and then they went for <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure his yeah. offer was lesser than the other two. Not that that's yeah. saying much. I'm sure the offer is still ridiculous. Yeah. And just the you have to he's the most expensive like combined price tag player of all time and you just yeah think of that career and it's like yeah he accomplished a ton he won a ton but just not even close to the potential we saw he like could have had uh in his years in barcelona and it's just it's sad to see 100 percent. but uh this this upcoming weekend we do have the return of syria we got the return of bundesliga return of all these other leagues that we got going on too so um you know we're in full swing now it's not just premier league and la liga we got um champions league coming back soon and for the liverpool fans and some of these other clubs europa league it's gonna be great back in full swing so gonna try and do this every week now moving forward now that we're in the full swing of things calling it season two of starting 11 podcast so yeah having said all that we'll enjoy this weekend of football then we'll come back at you guys next week